From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Ace McKay handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Thursday, Father Brian Milady. How are you? Just fine. How about you? Terrific, thanks. And we have a, uh, a, a fairly recognizable gospel reading today. And uh, you wanted to elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, I wanted to elaborate on Dives and Lazarus, is the way they used to call them. Dives, of course, would be Latin for the rich man. And uh, it's a good gospel to read during Lent because it basically has to do with almsgiving and with a person's control over their material wealth. So as you know, those of you who are familiar with the parable, it's a fairly famous one. You have the rich man who feasts all day on his bounty, and then you have the poor man outside his gate. And when the rich man dies, the poor man uh, is uh, an infinite distance almost from him, and they have totally different fates because the person who was prosperous here on earth is now bereft after death. And the person who was prosperous, um, or I should say bereft on earth, is the one that becomes prosperous afterwards. And this is a complete reversal of the whole value system of the Old Testament, they tended to look on material prosperity and on success, earthly success, as a sign of God's favor. Instead, the Lord is saying, no, God's favor is something in your soul, and it has to do with your generosity and not with how much you've given or not given or whatever. Instead, it's about your moral disposition when you die. And then strangely, in this parable, uh, remember the rich man says, yeah, 
send someone to my brothers to try to warn them about the difficulties of seeking only materialism. And Christ says, well, they have the Law and the Prophets. They don't need it anymore. The Law and the Prophets teach wisdom. And then the rich man says, ah, but if someone rises from the dead, quote, unquote, and evangelizes them, they'll pay attention to them. And Christ's response is very, very upfront. He says, well, if they won't listen to the Law and the Prophets, they're not going to listen even if someone rises from the dead, which, of course, he will do. And he will try to instruct us into what the final purpose of our life is, which is a spiritual purpose, not a material purpose. And yet people who refuse to listen to the initial message taught by the Old Testament, which is basically the Law and the Prophets, if they don't listen to that, they're not going to listen even when he rises from the dead and the church begins to preach her uh, doctrine. Now, during Lent, it's a very good and sober and pious reflection for us to remember what the purpose of materialism is, material goods. Material goods basically exist to support the body, and the body exists to support the soul. And so it doesn't matter how many material goods you got or how prosperous you are, if you don't have strength of soul, if you don't have a true interior uh, disposition in which you're God-centered, in which you're supernaturally oriented, it's not going to make any difference. Instead, we have to look to our own inner life to see what actually our value system is and how important spiritual life is, which is precisely what people really don't do today. As you know, we live in a world flooded by materialism, and it's sad that it's that way. People may be seeking many, many things in seeking material goods. Mostly, as you know, they're about domination, trying to demonstrate that you're better than someone else. But if you're not seeking the kingdom of God, if you're not seeing spiritual perfection, it doesn't matter how many material goods you have. So we need to return again during Lent, and that's why we're presented with a season like Lent, to putting material goods in their proper place. And the proper place is not to be the center of human life. Their proper place is to support human life insofar as this is materially necessary, or if you want to put it another way, to support our bodies in eating and drinking and things like that. So let's look again at why we're here, but especially why we have material goods. And let's remember that their whole purpose is to be of service to others. To the extent that we're not of service to others, we can be found wanting even in the service we seek to give ourselves. 
and in the doctrine of wealth and the way the church interprets it, in other words, property is a responsibility as well as um, something that's important to have. It's a responsibility to work for the good of others and to give what you have insofar as this is necessary to their support to them. Well, thank you for that, Father. This is Open Line producer Michael McCall, and uh, we had an email that uh, came in uh, between uh, last week's show and this one, and uh, we may not be able to, to answer it fully before the end of this segment, but let me go ahead and read it to you. It's from Stephanie, and she wants to know, what is the difference between Calvinist versus Thomist predestination? Oh, gosh. In fact, I can almost guarantee we won't get to it by the end of this segment. <laughs> well, we're back to predestination again. Yes, sir. You know, practically the most difficult question in the, in the Christian calendar. But basically the difference is that we're a part of our predestination. Whereas, uh, again, kind of almost reflecting on this gospel passage, God predestines people for things both as to heaven and as to hell. Catholic predestination says that we're predestined to heaven. The fact that we choose hell is due to our own choice. It's not a matter of God predestining us to go to hell, except in the fact that he ratifies whatever we choose. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-288. Three nine eight six. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. If you'd like to be part of the program, give us a call there. Um, if you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to entertain your question. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one. Two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That's openline at ewtn.com. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Ron in Kansas City, Kansas. And we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN offers a variety of prayers for all your spiritual needs during this great Lenten season and beyond. You can find them all. Simply go to EWTN.com slash pray. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. A couple of open lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. 
As advertised, first up today is Ron in Kansas City, Kansas, listening on the EWTN app. Ron, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Milady. Hi. Hello. Hi, Father. Um, my question is about working on the Sabbath. I'm retired, and um, so I have a part-time job working for this big box company, and I ask not to work on Sundays, but they occasionally schedule me because I'm like the closer. I work late in the evenings. And so I went to confession. I talked about this, and the priest said it was okay because you asked not to, but they are doing it. But I also said um, I would like to donate what I make on Sundays to a charity or to a church, to the church. And I want to know if that would be okay. Oh, uh, actually, I think that's a very good solution. Because remember, the purpose of going to Mass is to worship God. And if you can't do it, let's say you have a broken leg. You can't do it. Okay, you can't will that or not will it. So it doesn't fall under responsibility. And if you uh, decided you still wanted to work because of your age and you want to contribute, that's fine. But uh, I think your solution is a very good one. If you really are bothered in conscience by this, you can always give the money away so you're not profiting at all either personally from the uh, working on the actual Sabbath. Uh, do you go to Mass anyway? Or oh, do yes. You just... Yes, I go to Mass. I... Oh, well, they, they then, had... don't worry, then don't worry about it, for heaven's okay. sake. Okay. <laughs> Gee, you fulfilled your obligation, all right? So, but God you bless may, you, right. Yep. You, thing, you may give things away if you want to. Yeah, I like that solution. That's a that's a creative way to look at it. Thanks, Ron. We appreciate mm-hmm. the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. Adriana is a first-time caller in Miami, Florida. Watching us on YouTube today, Adriana, you're on with Father Milady. Hello. Hi, Father. Thank you so much. Hi, Father Milady. Yes, I have a question. Um, I have two elderly parents practicing Catholics um, all their life, and they would like to participate in the fasting, especially the bread and water, but they take medication. Um, how? What are other ways that they can do to um, to fast? I mean, they've tried, but you know, they get headaches and this and that. And well, of course they um, do. I'm trying to refer. Yes. <laughs> Look, um, you're not supposed to ever fast contrary to your health, number one. Number two, Catholic fasting, the bread and water thing is out. It's out. I think it's out for people who are 20, but especially for people who are elderly. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever no one ever said that you had to spend you know, all your time on Friday or whenever, fasting on bread and water. Catholic fasting has always been that a principal meal uh, you are allowed to have. So you have to have two small meals in addition to you may have a principal meal. 
So please do not do this bread and water thing, especially for someone the age of your parents. It's not, I don't know why they want to do it. Is there some reason they want to do that? Like the church is encouraging it, you know. No, the church is not. The laws of fasting are clear. Pardon me? Oh, thank you. Yes, because I even tried fasting and it gave me headaches. It was hard for me. The laws of fasting are very clear. There is no place where it says bread and water. Perhaps sometimes in a religious order, they might do that as part of their custom. But when it comes to the general faithful, there's no obligation whatsoever to not eat. <laughs> and really, I think, Father, if I'm not mistaken, I think Holy Mother Church, in her wisdom, encourages people that if they feel like the Holy Spirit may be leading them to fast beyond the one primary meal and the two small meals, that they should take that up with their spiritual director before they engage in that, right? Absolutely. I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. So, Adriana, they, I'm sure that there are other things that they could conceivably um, offer yeah, up to the Lord. Like as, learning to live with each other and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no fighting when you're elderly. <laughs> that, would be a, that, that would be a good one. Uh, yeah. You know, or, or just, I, I would have them find something that they enjoy doing and, and maybe offer that as a fast. How about that, Adriana? So much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Sure. 833-288-EWTN. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Ben writes in, how should a catechumen go about his Catholic journey if he commits a mortal sin while in the process of becoming Catholic? Confession. You, you You go to first confession. First penance is something everybody does uh, when they join the church, if they're uh, of a certain age. Uh, of course, with children, it's because of communion. But with adults, it's because you know, they're going to experience baptism. So you should go to confession. So let me ask you this. Let's say that there is a catechumen who is, well, he says he's a catechumen, so he should, that, that should refer to an unbaptized person. Uh, he would be a candidate if he if he were already baptized. Right. But let's say he doesn't maybe understand the terminology just right, and say it was a candidate who, as they're learning more, come to realize that they have mortal sin in their life. Should they just wait? Because usually that first confession comes pretty pretty close to being received into the church. Should they? They, they could they make wait. a request to to confess earlier, or what would you just just wait? Well, or they can wait till they're being received in the church. Because um, most people have some form of uh, first penance when you're going to enter the church. So just save that up and wait till it comes. And our Lord knows their situation, right? He's not going to make unreasonable demands on them. No, no. We head back to the phones. Tim is in the great state of Idaho listening on Salt and Light Radio. Tim, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Father Brian. Uh, my question is, if two people are living together, you know, a, a man and a woman, and then they get married civilly, are they now not committing sin anymore? Uh, are they Catholic or Protestant? Catholic. <laughs> uh, yes, they're still committing sin. That's what I thought. But Protestant, if okay. Protestant, 
Protestants are bound only by the, the you know, the form their church recognizes. It says, remember, the ministers of marriage are the couple who are baptized. So if my sect, let's say the Lutherans, recognize civil marriage as a valid form of marriage, then for me it would be. But Catholics are bound to the Catholic form. And as a result, it doesn't matter what you get married before. I suppose maybe if you're on a ship, the captain marries you before you get to port. That might be an exception, but those are canonical exceptions and probably have to be uh, uh, made right when you get to port. But the thing is that, um, yeah, if you're divorced and you remarried um, and uh, you're not married in the Catholic form and you're a Catholic, then you're still living in sin. Thanks, Tim. And the marriage isn't valid either. Yeah. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. John's watching us on YouTube, and he wants to know, why doesn't God make himself so clear to all people that everybody would know he exists? Well, actually, God does make himself very clear. It's we who are dull about trying to understand. Uh, for one thing, he obviously... Uh, has the natural law, so you have nature with all the wonderful things that are present in nature. The fool that said in his heart there is no God. Then you have the Old Testament, which is God making himself even clearer. And then finally, you have Christ dying on the cross, which is God making himself clearer. So the fact that we don't believe isn't due to him, it's due to us and to our foolishness of heart and slowness to believe. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Um, Joy wants to know, when the final judgment happens, will people experience purgatory any longer? No. Purgatory is a condition which is temporary. <clears throat> That's why we say at the end of time there'll only be heaven or hell um, or basically limbo, but not purgatory. There'll be no more, no more purgatory, nothing to atone for. Everybody sees God or doesn't. 833-288-EWTN. That is our phone number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can also type a question into the chat window, and it may get to us by the end of the program, and you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's open line, all one word, at EWTN.com. 
Straight ahead, we'll talk to John in Terre Haute, Indiana, Joe in Queens, New York, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. Pick up the phone and give us a call with your question at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And if you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN Radio family. Catholic Radio Indy is celebrating 20 years this week with us as an EWTN affiliate. Uh, They serve Indianapolis and Central Indiana with five now, five FM stations. Congratulations to Gordon Smith and his team at Catholic Radio Indy from your friends here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is John in Terre Haute, Indiana, listening on Covenant Radio. John, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian Mullady. Thank you. Hi, Father. Um, I've listened to... Uh, EWTN for years, and other uh, Protestant radio stations at times, and they never t- talk about the Church except for the Catholic Church. The the Catholics talk about the Church and refer to the Church as authority. The Protestants only quote Scripture that I've ever heard. They'll pick out a little phrase in Scripture and quote it. But what is the Church? It's my question. Well, the Church, in the way the Catholics look on it, has three expressions. You have what we, and I'm going to use the older terminology. We used to call these three expressions of the Church, the Church militant, the Church suffering, and the Church triumphant. And the Church is the community of all those who believe in Christ. So... The church triumphant would be the saints in heaven. The church suffering would be purgatory. And the church militant, okay, well, it's not a military organization. It refers to the fact that on earth, many members of the church are in struggle, like would be at a military campaign, that we're all of us in struggle uh, because we have uh, still, though we don't have original sin anymore, we've been freed, we still have the weakness present from original sin, also known as concupiscence. And we struggle with that. Another way to put that is we struggle with our own egotism while we're on earth. So the church would be all those who believe in Christ either actually or potentially, and who are oriented toward this final consummation. So the only people who would not be members of the church, Thomas Aquinas calls them members of the church in act and in potency, 
the only people who wouldn't even be potential members of the church would be the damned in hell. Everybody else is at least potentially a member of the church as long as they're still alive. So the church is the community of believers which is united either to Christ actually or Christ potentially and is centered on faith in Christ because Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope. The Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth, but he's not the head of the church. The head of the church is our Lord Jesus Christ. We next head to Queens, New York. Joe is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joe, you're on with Father Milady. Thank you, Father. Uh, my question has to do with culpability. Uh, if one Catholic, if a Catholic is fully, uh, you know, makes confirmation, fully uh, in the Church, if that Catholic is poorly catechized, how culpable are they in terms of invincible ignorance? Well, it determines on why they're not catechized. <laughs> Maybe their own fault, because they haven't bothered to learn it. On the other hand, it might be terrible teachers who taught them the wrong thing or who uh, failed to catechize them when they should have catechized them as to what the subjects are the church should be teaching, or the parents, because they're the primary apostles of the children. Uh, you can go down the list. Um, it depends on why they're catechized and who is supposed to catechize them. Now, regarding the question of invincible and invincible ignorance then, the ignorance which, uh, in which a person should have a responsibility for catechesis and doesn't do their job, that's invincible ignorance and you'd be responsible for that. With regard to a person who doesn't know, well, uh, there are lots of people who aren't theologically educated. Uh, they may be good believers in the sense that they're trying hard, but not uh, in the sense that they really can know the thing. Maybe they're not very bright. I remember my grandmother was a Methodist and I went away one time to go to school and I had left a thing there in my room called the New English Bible, which was not a translation of the Bible. It was kind of a popular representation of the Bible, very 1960s style. And I remember when I came back, my grandmother said, oh, I can't thank you enough for leaving that new Bible here. I read the Bible every day of my life as a believing Protestant, and I had never, I, I, never had any idea what I was actually reading. <laughs> because she was educated. She had, what, had a sixth grade education, seventh grade education. So it depends on what your, your responsibility is. If you have a duty to educate one place and you don't do it, 
then of course you're responsible. If on the other hand you have a duty which you are unable to carry it out because you aren't book learned enough or can't because of where you're at or something like that, then you wouldn't be responsible. Does that help, Joe? Oh, yeah. Just, uh, can I just I'll go a little further with that? Sure. Because the reason I ask that question is I usually go to confession once a month, and the lines are almost non-existent. But yet, and it's usually the same people, um, but yet the communion lines are relatively long. And I ask myself, am I that bad of a Catholic or are these future saints, you know? <laughs> and I, I just thought about that. Well, I don't think you can make a judgment about that. You live in New England, do you? Uh, Queens, New York. Queens, yeah. Well, you know, in the West Coast, uh, you'd be astonished at how many people go to confession. Uh, most of the churches have at least 20 or 30 or 40 confessions every day. Here at Holy Rosary in Portland, this is Portland, Oregon, after all, We, uh, the priests are busy for an hour before each Mass, uh, and, and we have, uh, well, the scheduled Masses of the daytime, so that would be the 12 o'clock Mass especially. They spend from 12 to 12.45 in the confessional before every Mass. And the same is true on Sunday. So I wouldn't say that people don't go. They go. But it depends on the section of the country you're in. For some strange reason, the former most Catholic area of the country, which would be the northeast where you live, uh, very few people make use of the sacrament of penance. But I can tell you that in the south, like Virginia, or the west, like, again, Illinois, or the west coast, even the crazy west coast, we have lots and lots of people confessing every day. God bless you, Joe. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Maria is in Ontario, Canada, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Maria, you're on with Father Milady. Hi there. A question for you. Um, I'd like uh, a simple response for um, how to address people that say that Easter is actually a pagan holiday. And I think that it stems from the fact that, obviously, the date of Easter revolves you know, changes year after year. Um, what is a simple way to kind of articulate the confusion there? Well, I mean, Easter is a holiday that follows the, um, the, the character of the calendar year itself. So it doesn't have any fixed date because it's not connected with any fixed feast, like unlike Christmas which is connected basically, oddly enough, through the Feast of St. John the Baptist to the Feast of the Annunciation. And the Jews looked upon the day of the creation of the world as around April the, you know, 40, uh, the, 10, uh, the um, 20th. So if you extrapolate further, Mary was said to be three months with, you know, Elizabeth was three months with child. Mary went to be with her, then John the Baptist was born, and then remember, she who is now uh, pregnant is now in her eighth, uh, sixth month or whatever, 
and based on the Luke, that would place the birth around December 25th. So it's not connected to any fixed feast, unlike some of the other feasts are. And that's why Easter is the way it is. It's not because of paganism. <laughs> the moon has more to do with it than paganism. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Maria. Absolutely. We appreciate the call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Brandy is another first-time caller in Hartwell, Georgia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Brandy, you're on with Father Milady. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, this is, I don't, I'm not even getting emotional uh, being able to speak with you. Um, so I, uh, I, I have a hard time forming this question, but I, I hope that you can understand me okay. Um, I'm, I decided to leave the Protestant world in October um, and started attending weekly mass and started attending uh, Catholicism classes in January. Um, uh, there's something about turning the age of 45 this year that has me like deeply and it causes anxiety and worry that because I've never been baptized, that um, I'm, I'm not going to uh, go to heaven. <laughs> and I know I, I, you know, I don't know, I don't, hopefully this is okay to think this way, but um, due to the process of becoming um, Catholic with uh, the church that we attend um, the, and when they start the classes, um, it, RCIA, yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, is this a is this a normal year? And and will I be shown um, grace that uh, I'm in the process and I'm trying? Um, I've never been baptized, um, even in a Protestant church. Well, I would say the fear of hell is certainly a normal fear. <laughs> also, the desire for heaven is a normal desire. And so, since we are created to go to heaven, the fact that we haven't been baptized into Christ, who's our only way to get to heaven, and causes us anxiety, is a normal anxiety. Uh, you know, the old catechism, its first question was, why did God make me? And the answer was God made me to make him happy with this, be happy with him in this world, and to know, love, and serve him here, and to be happy with him in the next. So if that's the reason God created you, and you're anxious that you haven't gotten there yet, uh, yeah, I would say that's a normal fear. But the church has always taught, has it not, Father, that, uh, I mean, our Lord knows the desire of her heart. And if, heaven forbid, something should befall her before she gets to the Easter Vigil, he knows what her desire is, right? Yes. However, part of that desire is to go, if you can, and seek baptism. So we don't underestimate the necessity and importance of baptism. Uh, if something should happen by accident, well, yes, the Lord understands your desires, and he won't condemn you. But he wants to be not just, just not condemned. Don't you want to love and be loved? 
And uh, I remember uh, my ordination invitation, I put a quote, there we shall rest and see, see in love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. Well, that's our purpose. We will, I would think we will want to go there. And so it's not just a matter of not being condemned. It's a matter of being brought into the light. So stay the course, Brandy. Easter Vigil will be here before you know it, and we will all keep you in our prayers as well. Yeah, it's just a couple weeks. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Tonight on The World Over with Raymond Arroyo, Father Gerald Murray, and Robert Royal, the Papal Posse, analyze major church news of the week. And Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel discuss the blockbuster movie The Passion of the Christ. Uh, in highlights from their 2004 World Over interviews for the 20th anniversary, cannot even believe that movie is 20 years old, of yeah. the film's release. Uh, the World Over with Raymond Arroyo tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time on EWTN TV and radio. And you can get news from the World Over right into your email box every week. Just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. We head now to the Republic of Texas. Todd is in Houston listening on the Ave Maria radio app. Todd, you are on with Father Milady. Hey. Hello, Father. Hi. I-, I was curious on your response to the person about fasting, and uh, you were very adamant that we don't do more than what the Church prescribes. However, the Church only prescribes that we go to confession once a year, but suggests we do it quite more often than that. So... Is there a reason that we only do the minimum in some places and do more in others? Or, and I realize the caller was elderly, and that that might be a circumstance where they wouldn't want to do more than the the church prescribes. Well, uh, yes, of course. Uh, we're talking about fasting from food, and so we don't have to do more than the church prescribes in that, because it would be detrimental to our health. When it comes to confession. We're not talking about fasting from food. We're talking about, um, you know, uh, what would you say? Uh, uh, saving your soul, health of the soul. So we might do more than the church prescribes, maybe. Um, but the, what does the church prescribe? The church doesn't say, well, it should be one week or it should be three weeks. Or it should. It's whatever you have a mortal sin and you're encouraged to confess venial sins. So no, it's not a matter of less or more. It's a matter of what is the uh, matter we're talking about and what its place is in relation to human life. Uh, Joe is in, well, correction, that's Betsy, is in Dearborn, Michigan today. And she's listening on Ave Maria Radio. Betsy, you are on with Father Milady. Hi. Qu- uh, question is St. John Chrysostom's role in anti-Semitism. The reason I asked is because at the Holocaust Museum in the Detroit area, where my husband and I just went this past weekend, they said, anti-Semitism began with him, unless I misread or misunderstood. And I well, know I that has know. to be factually incorrect. Well, I don't know. I've never been there. 
you know, I don't know about things like who caused the anti-Semitism to begin with. Uh, I have to do research on that. But uh, I, I have no opinion one way or the other. Yeah, that might except, except that we're not anti-Semitic. We never have been. The popes protected all the Jews during the Crusades because basically one of the reasons we can't be anti-Semitic is because Paul promises that uh, the final sign of the end times will be the conversion of the Jews. So how can we possibly persecute the Jews when we have to convert them in order for the end times to occur? Makes no sense. Yeah, Betsy, thanks so much for the call. Might be a good uh, question for Father Mitch maybe on a Wednesday. Yes, uh, I'm sure he knows. Yeah, so that might, if you can give us a call back on Wednesday's open line, that might be a better shot for a little more concrete answer. Uh, But that's a good start that you got from Father today. 833-288-EWTN. Joe is in Central Florida listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joe, you're on with Father Milady. Yes, Father. Uh, As I listened to the program a little earlier, you had a discussion on the end times, and you initially started saying there would only be heaven and hell, and then you mentioned limbo was part of the discussion. Ah, yes, the ever-present limbo of the just, or the uh, the children, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's your question? Well, I I didn't know what the role of limbo was, and I, I thought limbo was, something of the past that we moved beyond that didn't have limbo anymore. Well, you thought wrong. (laughs) Because there's a huge debate over whether limbo actually exists. Uh, Look, if limbo does exist, it's where they keep the children are that haven't reached the age of reason yet. So they can't be guilty of heaven because they haven't done any good acts and they and they aren't baptized, these people. If they were baptized, it would be different. It can't be hell because they haven't done anything evil. They haven't done anything at all. So uh, we're absolutely certain about heaven and hell, and there is a strong theological tradition. Even today, they had a debate about it at the Vatican. Oh, the International Theological Commission, it would have been about 15 years ago. And even the Pope was against having limbo. But they decided after their discussion they couldn't make any judgments. So it goes to show you it's a difficult doctrine, but it's still there. All right. Andrew is in Ontario, going back to Canada today. EWTN.com is how he's listening. Andrew, you're on with Father Milady. Hi, can you please tell me what the most important sign that someone is called to be a priest is and how it is detected? (laughs) Well, there isn't any most important sign. There's several, many signs. The most important one, I think, is to celebrate Mass, the desire to celebrate Mass for people. And I think it's about people who want to help the salvation of people. Um, unfortunately, we have some people who join the priesthood and not, don't like people. <laughs> that would be a bad side to me. But there is no sign as such. 
Um, we head now to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Espaviva is a first-time caller listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Uh, Espaviva, you are on with Father Brian Malady. Hello. Hello. Hi, my question was about baptism. And let's see, if we require to be baptized to enter into heaven, then... Um, why do we need to wait or do RCIA classes um, in order to be baptized? I mean, because we are, we, we, we don't really, um, we really don't know if we're going to make it the next day, the next hour. You know, we're not guaranteed any well, time. Well, a reasonable length of time. Obviously, you wouldn't wait for 10 years. That's why we have infant baptism. But, you know, two or three days is not going to make a big difference. Because, as um, we were saying before, uh, God knows your intention. So he's not going to condemn you if you miss it by a couple of days. We really need to get out of this legal calculation kind of thing. You know, I mean, you're on your way. You're on in process. The process is going to end soon. So there's no reason to jump and push the process immediately. Although... You do have the the, Ethiopian eunuch in Scripture, right? We do have the Ethiopian eunuch in Scripture. There are people in the past who, you know, the missionaries especially, would immediately baptize all these people, even though they didn't really know much at all about their religion. They just figured out that they knew enough to say Christ is their Savior, and they'd say, fine, I'm baptized. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Malady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with Open Line Friday. Our very own Vice President of uh, Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, will be in the house. Until we get together tomorrow, God bless.